The Standing Orders Podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders Podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, the Emeritus Mayor Sue Lorne. Hi, Thomas. How, How are, are you? you? I'm. <laughs> We're always going to do that, aren't we? Yeah, always. Well, it just wouldn't be the same if we didn't. <laughs> I'm so well. we'll just talk, let's just talk over each other. The next How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yep, everything's fine and dandy. Sun shining outside, blue skies, very nice. Is it really? I have it is actually. <laughs> I have absolute torrential rain. And the problem is, uh, it, it turns out that water is getting into my car. And so all the warning lights have flashed up on my dashboard. None of the windows work. Um, and it's even causing problems. So like the, basically the speedo doesn't work either. And it's all because water is getting into the fuse box, which is actually inside the cab. And so after I finish this, I have to go out and try and find out where the water's coming in and try and find out how to fix it. This is the is this problem. Is this your big truck? Is this your big... Um... Yes, the, anything with Jeep written on it will always cause you problems. By the way, what car have you got? <laughs> yeah, but mine's a moderate Jeep. Yeah, and to be fair, yours isn't like 24 years old. No. So um, I, I think... You, I you think, should have thought yeah. about that. You should have just... Well, you, I, I guess the thing would have been was just to literally... Put it in the garage until the sun shines, and then only drive well, them. The, the problem is, I got it fixed, and and they said, you know, we can't see where the water's coming in, but we've dried we've dried out the fuse box, which is always something that you want to hear. And then they said, just make sure you you take a look before it rains. I got in the car, <laughs> I started driving. The heavens opened. The issue started again because the water got into the deck. And no. I'm not paying like another £135 to get it sorted. So then I went and got a car cover, but it hasn't been dry enough since to actually use the bloody car cover <laughs> to stop the water getting in. So now I've got a £120 car cover sitting in there, which is dry because the car was keeping the car cover dry rather than the other way around. <laughs> So, are you going to drive it? We could have cut a hole in the wind where yeah, the window yeah. should be. <laughs> absolutely livid. And every time That's I try intense. and get in there, it's just, it's almost like when, when people design cars, they try and put things in the most awkward position. And so I can't bend in half the ways that I would need to, to actually get in there. And I don't want to lay where like shoes yeah. and feet. Are. And I know that I could go and get it done, but I, I refuse to. Because I am able and capable to do these things. When I was like 17, I changed the engine, changed the interior of a car, rode it off a few weeks later. But actually, you know, I and I was almost worryingly like fearless that I could do all of this. And I did. And it passed MOT and everything is fine. And you almost just don't think anything bad could happen. And now I just look at the car and think, oh, it's got a leak. And then I'm like, oh take it somewhere to do because I just can't be doing with it so I'm trying to change my mentality oh that would be a novelty wouldn't it wouldn't it absolutely <laughs> never old enough to change change the mentality of a man <laughs> no I've always, I, in the I, nicest I, possible way <laughs> you see you could say that I couldn't say anything <laughs> in return um <laughs> but it's prerogative 
Yeah, and, and this leads us really on to, uh, to the topic of what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, the release uh, this week of the No Place in Politics Tackling Abuse and Intimidation Call to Action by the Joe Cox Civility Commission. So this has been a long time coming, and it, it kind of comes on the back of a lot of work that's been done by the LGA in terms of their hate, uh, sorry, no, 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 sorry. I was about to say their hate not debate campaign, but no, it's, it's the other way around. It's the debate not hate campaign um, and the civility and respect um, kind of campaign that's been done by the SLCC jointly, um, where councils have been signing up to a pledge to be and to support more kind of civility in, in public life. And, and I think they've all been really well received, but this is kind of an overarching um, kind of call to action, which is on the back of an evidence gathering exercise, which has been going on for some time and actually has an awful lot of really, really good um, evidence in there. And I have to say, like a lot of the evidence that comes in is actually from councillors and parish councillors. And when you kind of get something like this. I mean, it's only a 28-page doc, and there is an online kind of summary of the like the recommendations. And it's always really tempting just to jump straight to the recommendations. But actually, with a report like this, it's actually really important and really interesting to go through and read the kind of work that has gone into this and what the issues in the sector, both of local government and in, in central government with what MPs have, have been kind of living with, and actually looking at, you know, the experiences that, that they've had. I mean, you know, there's one parish councillor who was saying that they had an array of, I think, dead animals appearing on their yeah. front lawn and a rat through their door um, following a parish council meeting. And you mm. think, you know, that, that led them to contemplate suicide. And you think, you know, it's absolutely incredible that in what is supposed to be a really mature democracy, the elected members are, are kind of are living through this and having mm. swastikas painted on walls and, and things. And you think, actually, th this sounds like it would happen elsewhere at the moment. Like this, this is going to be, shall I say it? Yeah, so you, you would think like hearing what's happening in Germany on the news at the moment with the far right, you would mm. think a lot of this stuff would be going on in Germany. You wouldn't be thinking that it would be going on in uh, in the UK, but mm. it does. And it just goes to show that, you know, the, the issues I think that we're experiencing, um, you know, that they're happening in most democracies, you know, there seems to be real anger. And I, I always say, you know, everything stems to me with COVID at the moment. I think everything changed during COVID. I don't think people have gotten over that. And I think a lot of the injustices and the upsets and things that, that happened as a consequence, people are still are still reeling from. And that's why we get the attitudes that we do. Mm. And I think that we are turning into a nation of, um, well, it is it's always been that he who shouts the loudest is the, is the person that gets listened to. But we've gone to a total extreme where we're shouting the loudest, but we're shouting total abuse at people who are trying to help a situation. With this report, I'm really pleased to see that it is taking um, local council, taking councillors. It's not just focusing on MPs. Um, it's, it's got the councillors there as well. And in uh, one part of the report, it says that um, the... Um, the, the local level issues such as planning and transport have been shown to cause considerable amount of abuse. 
and that's what's always going to be people's passion yeah you don't they don't want things built in their backyard and they don't need any more roadworks no more highways um you know that, that that's what's that's causing most of the frustration with people but why do people think they've got the right to go and and pick on any particular council councillor or mp that uh, you know is their god given right to go be extremely rude threatening behavior and you know and then, then it gets to the situation where we've lost two mps over the last eight years so i you know it's everybody needs to take a step back and learn respect that's the most important thing is to respect that you got your views everybody else has got their views but the way that you put your views forward is is you know it's, it's got to be acceptable and um and i can understand why there's people don't use facebook or social media so much these days um because that just leaves them open to um to you know to, to total criticism um if somebody was to say look i'm, I'm donating a million pound to a special charity you can guarantee that there will be somebody that will come along and put a criticism on there oh you've got that kind of money do you yeah think you can do that and instead of seeing the good points there's always going to be somebody who sees the bad points and unfortunately is there's bad points that you're going to stick in your head you know that's what you're going to yeah. see and that's what you're going to remember instead of thinking that you're doing something good you see now i feel bad about constantly mentioning your holidays because I feel like I'm doing exactly the same thing. You do. You know, it's like your million yeah. pounds. It's like your million holidays. And you generally, like, just give up. <laughs> and you're going to get so criticised for that now because you're not taking it. <laughs> you're not taking it seriously. No, I, I am. And, and no, I'm I mean, joking. I guess yeah. what, I, what I mean is, yeah. you know, you're absolutely right. And I think since COVID, people have... Yeah, I think people have become a lot more insular. And I think this happens a lot in local government that actually, um, and I was reading a local plan of a of a local authority uh, not so long ago, and a, a corporate plan that, that kind of not mirrored it, but was released around the same time. And I was struck by sometimes how insular um, some authorities are, that they very much look inwards at themselves. And, you know, the, the kind of partnership working that you used to see a great deal of is almost done in kind of lip service. But as budget cuts are now coming in and you look at how grant funding is changing for a lot of authorities, they've turned far more insular into what they're delivering and looking kind of in-house an awful lot more instead of looking out into the community. And I have to say, you know, I've sat in council meetings and I've looked at, you know, uh, particularly... I can think of a few occasions where we've had some angry kind of rabbles coming, you know, to, to meetings, which is which is great in some ways, you know, at least they're engaged about something, but have actually said some really, and even like, I think councillors have had friends come and have actually stood there and been so rude yeah. to, to councillors who they're friends with because, you know, they're a councillor and so they're able to, and it's like, you walk out of that, and they're like, well, you know, no hard feelings and and like nothing has happened. And you think, you know, as soon as someone has the councillor title, it almost means that even their friends don't give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt. Mm. They're, they're just 
it's like a, a kind of free-for-all in terms and I sat there and I thought you know in terms of those members you know you're not none of you are getting allowances none of you are getting paid you have spent your own money to get in your car to drive yeah. to to like this meeting to sit there to be abused and then you get in your car and drive home again who hmm. voluntarily like does Put this stuff in that place. Yeah. and, and yeah. it's yeah it, and I just I, I guess I, that's what has always kind of struck me with councillors whether you agree with the politics and you agree sometimes with how they kind of present themselves and and I will kind of come on to a, a part of that in a second um, regarding you know councillors behaviour um, but actually you know I have a great deal of time for members who, even when they receive allowances, you know, you still don't expect to go yeah. to a meeting and, and do this. And I, I just as a, a side point, I remember being interviewed successfully um, for a job. And uh, one of the questions um, surrounded treatment of public service workers. And it was around police officers. And it was one of those questions where they said, you know, police officers tend to get kicked and punched and, and things like this. And, you know, that's just a matter of, you know, everyday life for them. And I don't yeah. think anyone needs to be particularly kind of bothered by it because if you become a police officer, you kind of expect it. And obviously, you know, quite strongly disagreed with that and outlined my reasons why. And I, I suspect, well, I know now, it was one of those questions where it's about being able to, when you have someone in a position of authority who makes statements that you know, are pretty abhorrent, that you have the ability to stand up to them and say, no, you're wrong and this is why. Um, and actually it's the ability to do that. And, and it, it's important that we do, when we hear kind of comments like that, that we do kind of, it isn't acceptable. Even if you disagree with how a member like debates or, or their views or their politics mm. or anything else, that there's still that line of respect that has to be there because you know they're representing an electorate they've been elected to do this or in some cases you know they've, they've volunteered and been accepted to to do so and and you have to have that minimum level of, of kind of respect and because it's just humanity really i guess this is it and, and as you said you know it is whenever it's member on member then that's a really really sad situation i, I think you want to rephrase that can you not can you not say no. member on member? Can you can you say can but, you say councillor kind of council on councillor? But you'll cut that bit out. So no, but it is whenever you know because you're all supposed to be working for the same you know the same goals. You want to make sure that what's good for your community, but um, you know in relation to the the planning side of things. Um, you know, even with councillors, um, even in the same, you know, the same party, the same group, um, you know, they can so disagree with, with each other and they can get really, we've, we've been in a situation where, you know, a councillor um, not agreeing with another councillor can really, really upset the apple cart and, um, and, and all respect goes out the window. And um, and and then it makes not a very pleasant um, situation to be in for anybody. So I think it's you know, and it says on there that uh, you know there's um, there's a lot of um, councillor um, against councillor in causing um, you know lots and lots of problems for um, for the for the you know for their colleagues, um, and it, it's it's putting people off. 
becoming um uh, putting themselves forward and i think that i've seen somewhere that there's um at the time of writing 75 mps have said that they will not be seeking re-election yeah uh, because of the abuse that they've been getting and and again not just necessarily from um from outside you know, of the own group and i guess some of that's actually you know as you were reading that out i was thinking you know and this in itself is going to be an unpopular view well, for the amount of money an MP gets, you know, it, it's not such a huge sum that you'd put up with that. And then I thought, no. actually, that that in itself is a complete wrong way of looking at this, because it shouldn't be, well, you're paid X amount, and so you have to accept some of this. Obviously, with any job, like, you know, you, you I remember doing a, when I worked at, at Cardiff Council, they, they kind of did a pay review. Um, and you had to put everything that was negative about your job in. So you, you kind of write long lists of everything you have to deal with. If you go outside, you're dealing with that. If you get, you know, mm -hmm. even to the extent of, you know, they were saying, you know, if you get routinely kind of, you know, basically shit on by a seagull, put that in there, put like excrement and everything that you get, because it all adds weight to, to how much pay you get. But actually, when you look at it from elected members' point of view, there's no, no amount of money kind of there's, there's no perfect kind of sweet spot of you get paid this amount so therefore you have to accept like there's none of that like mm -hmm. irrespective of even if they're paid double or triple what they are now no amount of money when you're an elected member or any job you know is is enough for you to to tolerate that level of abuse mm -hmm. and I mean I was tempted to go through and go through each of the recommendations in the report because they're actually they're all really strong recommendations but then I thought, actually, you know, it then turns into a bit of a laborious kind of listing. And by the middle, you like people tend to switch off, you know, reading stuff out on podcasts doesn't really work. And so I would say, like, have a look, anyone who's listening, like log on to the Joe Cox Foundation, look at the Civility uh, Commission's uh, call to action and go through um, the evidence as well as the recommendations and then look at the end like there's a whole list of the recommendations who needs to implement it or action it and the time that needs to be done in a lot of them are 2024 and I think as they say in the reports because there's an election this year that now is the perfect time for what they describe as a reset to really get change done in society so that actually from this election we can think differently about our elected representatives do I think that it, it's likely? I don't think without the, I don't think, in the, I don't think it is. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of twofold towards the end why I don't think it, it's, it's likely at this stage that we're going to get the type of change that we need. But in saying that I don't think it's likely, that doesn't diminish the fact that it's needed and that it's urgent. Um, and actually it needs to be committed to. And I think if it were committed to, um, you know, we would be an awful lot further down the road. Um, I think in terms of the recommendations, just to, to kind of give an outline of, of some, they pretty much all, it, except if you kind of apply to local government, I think everything to do with government setting up central units and, and it kind of providing a lot more, um, kind of support in terms of initiatives, I think is really positive. I think, you know, there's a really key part there, though, that says all elected representatives, and especially those in leadership roles, should model good behaviour. And I was thinking, well, you know, is that saying that, you know, the, the councillors 
kind of sometimes bring it on themselves. And I thought, well, actually, no, it, it's the opposite. It's the, well, it's the evidence that member on, now I'm about to say the same thing, councillor yeah. on councillor kind of, you know, behaviour, you know, is sometimes, you know, to, to the extent that it turns quite toxic. Do we and should we expect, you know, the best things from our, our leaders, our political leaders? Yes, we should. And, you know, is the criticism and the anger palpable towards some politicians, particularly, you know, central government around COVID and things? Yes, it is. But, you know, I think the one thing that I would say in terms of, of the report is, for my money, it doesn't go far enough in some areas. I think that what it could do more is address, I think, the frustration that's there in local government that actually... There's no real way of holding councillors when they do, you know, council on council attacks or when they yeah, behave. We've discussed in... this previously, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we, we have, but it, you know, there hasn't been any change and there still no. doesn't seem to be a push for change that enables actual kind of consequences for councillors in terms of if they behave in such an appalling way, then monitoring officers and local authorities should be able to take action because just having a, a democratic mandate in itself isn't sufficient. To, to say for the next four years you can behave in any way you like hmm. and there's nothing we can do about it. You wouldn't accept it from an MP and so you shouldn't accept it from a councillor. And so I think the one thing that I, I would say is, you know, that element of the, the recommendations is, is really important, but I think in some ways could go a couple of steps further in terms of actually saying, you know, councillors need to behave in, in, you know, basically in accordance with the Nolan principles, you know, they should replicate like exceptional behavior and if they don't and it falls so far below what you would expect from an elected member that there are sanctions and there are meaningful sanctions including the loss of office um for members who deserve it mm. but just going just rewinding just for a second and um just and you said that you know it's, it's not good to read out in a, in a podcast but there's just a, a couple of things that i think are really quite poignant and I said about the 75 MPs that say that they're not going to stand for re-election. Again, there could be many reasons why um, they're not standing, um, probably because they know they won't get elected. But um, with the um, on the other side of it, 27% of councillors have said that they would not stand for the next election. 31% were undecided. So that's over 50% of the councillors that, that have been elected over the last uh, couple of years are saying that they're not going to, to stand or, you know, they're in two minds, whether they're either not going to stand or two minds, whether they're not going to do going to do that. Um, that's a really serious situation, isn't it? Uh, because again, you you need people who are going to to stand for re-election because they've got the experience of the past four or five years. That's so important that you know you you keep that um you know that experience in in the into in the council and in the community but then on on the same point there's a, a statement from mark lancaster uh who mp who announced he was standing down in 2019 so this is pre-covid and he's saying the politics today with all its anger abuse and in my own case two threats on my life is the not the politics we want or need for our great country We've always been at our best and delivered the most when we are able to express political disagreements through healthy debate, then unite as a community and as a country. And I hope one day we can return to that place. 
And I think, so that's where he said pre-COVID. And I think that things have, um, attitudes have just gone down horrendously Absolutely. in the previous last four years. So, or the, you know, the four years that we've just gone gone through. And I think that there is just total disrespect. We, we don't, we're not prepared to sit back and listen to what people's other points of views are. We, we want our point of view put out there, but we're not prepared to stand to get elected for it. But we're prepared to give abuse, especially by email, by Facebook. Um, and like when you said, you know, that that MP who um, was a councillor had all those, it was a councillor, had the dead animals and then the rat put through the door. Now, that was all done in the dead of night. Yeah. So it's an absolute coward who will not stand up and say, this is what I'm arguing about. You give me your reasons. Think, putting your point forward, I'll give you my reasons and see that we can't come to some understanding. Absolutely. That's how we should be. But unfortunately, the society that we're in at the moment, it just, it, that just isn't going to happen. And again, is it sometimes with, with MPs that they, they're taking themselves because of the fear of their security and uh, what's happening, that they're taking themselves away from the community? Um, I know that... Um, I know to get to see a certain MP, you have to go through seriously locked doors. You yeah. make an appointment and then you have to go through seriously locked doors. But it only just what four or five years ago, you'd have been able, they'd have been in supermarkets, the Absolutely. MPs would have been in supermarkets. You literally just walk in, tell them your point of view, and they'll say, I'll get back to you, and then and then you move on. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to say was, do you remember we we had a meeting um, a few years ago with allotment holders, and I remember um, the um, one of the one of the people at that meeting, and I was trying to say to him, look, you know, we are doing our best here to make things work. Um, we're we're not being paid for this, as you said. You no, know, it's a day I my day off work, arrange the meeting, and we go and we sit and discuss the situation with them. And this one person, there was just no way that he was going to um, understand what we were saying to him. Yeah, he'd, as far as I'm concerned, he'd got the points all wrong. And um, and then when I said, you know, we, we're we're doing this as volunteers, we're giving up our own time, and we're trying our best. And um, and he said, um, well, your best isn't good enough. And, um, you know, you, you put yourself in this situation, so you have to take the criticism that goes with it. Um, and you just think, with that attitude, there was nothing that we could ever do for no. that person. You know, there was nothing that we could take, make him understand that he'd got it all the wrong way and that we were doing what was best for that area uh, of the town. And uh, but that's something you know that will always stay with you. You so many people said so many nice things, and you had so many good things that you did for the community, and people recognised. But like I said in the beginning, you know, it's whenever you you hear the negative points and the criticism Absolutely. that wasn't meant, that wasn't right, no. that will always stay with you. And and I think you know healthy debate is important, and people are free to disagree with you. Not everyone mm -hmm. will get your point of view, but it's just the way in which they do it. And I think just going back to my kind of my original point in in terms of of sanctions, particularly for councillors, I know you know of the kind of the, the first recommendations of the report covers kind of like being an exemplar of good behaviour. And I think it goes on to saying you know political parties really need to 
kind of take a tough line in terms of code of conduct, which I think for for MPs perhaps is is enough. I mean, you know, getting them whipped and and stuff. You know, it mm. being deselected from your party and think has real significant consequences for a lot of uh, MPs, especially in terms of finance and support. Um, less so with councillors, and I think that's where you know my kind of my feeling that it could go further in terms of local councillors kind of kicks in. I think a lot of the the stuff regarding kind of evidence gathering and making sure that members kind of report it. And to be honest, I think members really, I, I think from councillors, a lot of councillors don't like to report abuse. I think they have kind of come to accept it and they don't want to make such a big deal out and they don't want to be seen as kind of panicking or even that in reporting it, it means that the person has upset you. And so I think mm. that, that there's a kind of reluctance to take it further because you don't want to give the person the satisfaction of knowing that what they said has has kind of yeah struck you but, to such a point that you've reported it to the police. They will then feel they've achieved something. And so I think it's then, just. But sorry, just thinking about what we said last week, and um, you know, people, um, and and what I said, we said about the the councillor that had the, um, you know, the animals and and the rat through the door. We were saying last week, do you think that we sh that um, people's addresses should be made public? Again, you know, whenever you read this report, you then sit back and think, well, yes, is, is it a case that you, you shouldn't be able to, um, you know, to, to go and knock on somebody's door and, and give them the criticism that, that you want to or things along those lines? Well, and I think, you know, that's why I think in many ways it's important that, you know, and this isn't in any way kind of, you know, in no way is is meant to justify kind of, you know, that kind of hate as opposed to debate. But I I think in terms of, of code of conduct, not being able to remove councillors does cause frustration um, for, for officers oh, yeah. as well as members of the public. But I think as well, it, it is the accessibility of, of some members. Like you say, with members of parliament, you know, for, for some reasons, quite justifiably, you know, for security reasons, they don't hold perhaps the surgeries like they used to. And a lot of councillors don't necessarily go to surgeries or hold surgeries. No. And so they aren't the kind of in that same position. I would say, you know, I, I don't blame them in some ways. Yeah. But I think generally a lot of times where the public get most angry is when they feel that there's no mechanism for them to be listened to and that their yeah. voice isn't being heard and that escalates. And I, I see it the same amongst members. When you have a leadership of a of a larger council, you know, district councils, county councils that aren't listening to the party, um, you know, that they're that they're members of, they aren't listening to their own party kind of backbenchers, you know, that's when you then start to get vitriol and separations within groups. And it causes an awful lot of issues. And I think it's just sometimes that that lack of acknowledgement or or that kind of politics of you know, because of your position, or there is just no common ground in, in which to agree or, or to feel that you've been heard and satisfied. And so I think that, you know, that that inability to be heard by some people is is causing that frustration, which is then building that that kind of growth of, of kind of anger. And it is yeah. anger. It's yeah. and I think, you yeah. know, gathering and, and I think the report is right. A lot of this is down to gathering evidence, being able to piece together kind of the the kind of the evidence, the intelligence to be able to say where there are risks, what the kind of risks are, how widespread it is across the country. Because at the moment, if you speak to your local police officer, 
he's he could record it he might not record it he might crime it he might not crime it he may put it on a system he may not put it on the system um but equally you know having one port of contact for for each police mm -hmm. um like for, for each constabulary for each uh you know um would be good i mean you have it with elections if you have electoral fraud there's normally one officer who deals with elections for the area who deals with breaches of electoral law and i think you could have the same thing for, for councillors quite easily and the one thing and i know that we are short time that you you do need to be going soon um mm -hmm. but the one thing i would also pick up on is the fact that you know they're saying that they should uh, local authorities should improve risk planning for abuse at meetings and other events include ensuring high risk events are appropriately uh, sourced with trained security which actually goes on the back of um there's been other reports particularly around the manchester arena about you know having proper security and, and local authorities you know really taking action in terms of doing that. i think it's called martin's law but one of the the subsects of this is about online meetings and that where there is a risk yeah and a potential for you know that actually you should be able to hold online meetings and i i think just the amount of evidence that's growing to say both from an accessibility point of view for the public and for councillors for the participation point of view for the safety point of view where matters are contentious you know it shouldn't be that to to kind of vote the way that you you want to vote and to make the tough decisions which may not be popular you know you should have to subject yourself to sit in a small room with inadequate security and often you know police presence that that's minutes and and potentially more away rather than seconds you know you're much better off being able to make these decisions in a controlled environment online where actually you have far better control over things. And I just I just don't understand why why it is being seen as such an issue, you know, mm. and I I don't get it. And and I would also say, you know, that, that one of the final kind of recommendations is rigorously screening candidates during the electoral process. And also there was one, I think, around councillors and MPs going to school kind of uh, and educational institutions to introduce what they do as elected members to try and really get young people understanding it in the hope that that will reduce the amount of abuse because it tends to be more young people feeling that they can abuse elected members as opposed to perhaps slightly older people um but on that I, I would just say you know there was an MP well no, no sorry let me restart that there was a parliamentary candidate or a constituency very close to where you are who went to an educational institution um and made what were described as incendiary comments i i believe the general term is um gender critical comments um which you know were then remarked upon so much by the school and and kind of brought back so strongly by the school that actually he he decided not to stand as an MP because of the foray that that caused. Um, and of course, this week we see an open university professor who won an employment um, tribunal claim of constructive dismissal because of the university's treatment of her um, gender critical views. And so I think all I would say is that, you know, educational institutions it is really important that elected members go and, and are able to speak and represent their views don't get me wrong, I'm, I, I would not have chosen the words that uh, the candidate chose in the school, and I wouldn't have taken the view that he took in any way, shape or form. But I think if, if you're encouraging members to do that, 
to go and, and to speak at schools, you have to allow members to actually represent themselves and not be afraid of not only pupils kind of kicking back. And actually, it wasn't the pupils' response necessarily that was the issue. It was actually the institution's response to it that caused the biggest problem and that they need to understand that actually, you know, they have to have respect for the, the, the process, not to necessarily, you know, wade in strongly in, in complaining to mm. parties and complaining to everyone to try and get this person yeah. selected. That actually, you have to ele allow the electorate to make their decisions, whether you agree with the person or not. And, and I, totally, yeah, I totally agree with everything that you've just said but Blimey. in relation just thinking um whilst you you were talking about that person who'd gone to the the, the school um this report doesn't really take any any um points through for um the newspapers and their part in um bringing down um mps councillors or or causing um um, more toxic um, views for a councillor or an MP. Um, we we have newspapers who troll through Facebook looking for comments from residents or other councillors or um, you know various other um, ways of getting uh, their stories through and they pick out something that a criticism of somewhere or something and they'll take that and they'll make that into headlines so they don't know the full facts of the stories sometimes before they actually go out there and print them and they can cause more problems i know that we've got social media that's causing mm -hmm. issues and you know giving people that platform to to criticize but sometimes the, um, the the local newspapers need to take responsibility and think before they start criticising the councillors or the council. Um, they don't always find out the true story or they might even just pick up one word in a meeting that um, they, they think, oh, yeah, I can take this as a headline um, for a councillor that said, an inappropriate word or describe yeah. something inappropriately and and then go with that story and that just incenses the, the the community around them and so something should have been i think that they should look into that side of things I mean, as well I, as the social media i think um, sometimes you know i i think sometimes looking through previous posts is actually justified in, in social media oh, no. to, to understand the true beliefs of some people as to what they say and their judgment at specific times. And there have been some stuff recently where, you know, um, you know, counsellors when they're at university, what they've said to people, and some of it's been, you know, outrageously homophobic and absolutely disgusting. And you think, you know, they're in their 20s when they held these views. Are they really that different to when they're in their 30s and 40s? Now, I think that's justified. I think you're right that, you know, some of it isn't as bad as that. Some of it is relatively light touch, just people, very similar to what I said around having gender critical views. Some people are having similar gender, but actually they're being made out to be something far more. And I mean, this professor at the OU was made out to be some kind of racist uncle style kind of character. When in fact she just held what you know an employment tribunal is held to be you know views you yeah. know that, that she's perfectly but, entitled to hold. But I think the report does mention kind of the importance of media attention. Yeah, it does say that media attention is a key thing for um, MPs, and I think it does also rightly say that actually 
especially when you're looking at um, the political literature that comes out, that I think, where's the recommendation? I think it's that impartial political and media literacy should be made a mandatory part of the school curriculum, including addressing how to deal with information sources and misinformation. Teachers should be adequately trained to deliver this. And I think it, it kind of touches on what you're saying in terms of, you know, people should be able to assess the information in front of them and, and critically evaluate how this applies to a situation and how kind of how can I put trustworthy um, the, the source is and actually what the root so, of the And that's, that's is. the thing, that's the most important thing is how trustworthy that source is. I'll just tell you a quick story before, but really do need to, to, to go. Um, many years ago, my daughter was at university. Someone had got hold of her phone. They were in a, in a bar. Someone had got hold of her phone and they put something on that um, some racist comments. I got a phone call at one o'clock in the morning saying, have you seen what's on this on the Facebook? So obviously I look and um, and I, I was oh, absolutely horrified. But what had happened was that a few, there was a couple of boys who'd, who'd picked up the phone. They'd written this comment. My daughter had no, you know, she wasn't aware of that at all, literally got it taken down within no time and but if it, it was taken down i don't know whether in going back all those years ago like what 15 years ago whether things would have been um you know you could still pull things through and forward from that absolutely but this is that was a situation that if it hadn't been taken down as quickly as it was any employer who was thinking about you know given her employment would have looked at that and thought good god that's a serious issue. Absolutely. So, Very so, so. is yeah. So you, you, yeah, and so you, you have to always be careful that, um, you know, that the things that are out there are actually factual. And even Very though it's your Facebook, you just don't know. I don't even know if it was on Facebook or what. And what, I don't know about anyone else, but certainly when I go for public office, the one thing I'm going to do is uh, exercise my right to be forgotten online <laughs> before I do anything. <laughs> get rid of all those council papers, <laughs> get rid of all those news reports. <laughs> but no, um, and thank you if you've been with us for this long. Thank you for doing so. It isn't, um, it, it, we've tried to kind of make it a little bit more accessible, a little bit more lighthearted, but it is a very serious um, mm. report that's come out and a really interesting report. And so if you do nothing else as a consequence of this, do go along, read the background, read the evidence gathering, um, understand where the recommendations are coming from. And almost as importantly as understanding it is also then going on and actually endorsing it and putting your yeah. organization, your name and signing yeah. up so that as many people as possible appear online as supporting this because it is really important and I'm going to go online and uh, and do it. And mm -hmm. I suggest, Sue, you do as well, Emeritus Mayor. Um, and I'll even give you a, um, I'll even send you the link. Okay. No, I think that it is, it's just that the most important thing is you having is the final the word. I have the last word, but for people to show respect. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week.